how are you? Good, good. All right, well, I, uh, as I've introduced myself like five minutes ago, my name is Nick, in case you forgot. I'm one of the pastors here. This is your first time. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we have been going through the book of Exodus. Our series has been entitled Redemption, a study in the book of Exodus, where we're kind of looking at the book of Exodus uh, in, 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 through this lens, that their story of redemption is our story of redemption in Christ Jesus. And simultaneously, in a couple weeks, as we go through this series, we're going to be launching redemption groups, which we have been uh, announcing and will be coming up, I believe, October 21st is the first one. If you want more information about that, please Feel free to email Jeff or myself. Uh, today, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 5, Exodus 5. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus 5. If you need a Bible, we got Bibles in the center aisle. Feel free to ask someone to grab one of those uh, for you. And we also will have the verses on the screen. If you were here last week, Jeff uh, unpacked Exodus, primarily Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, which is the famous passage of the call of Moses at the burning bush, where uh, the great I am, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob reveals uh, himself to his servant Moses. And then just reveal himself, he reveals a specific plan he has for Moses. Moses uh, at the time is around 80 years old. He's been a shepherd in uh, the wilderness, got maybe kind of cozy in Midian, and, and maybe was going to uh, uh, ride that whole shepherding gig out for the rest of his days, because that's a whole lot easier than dealing with the mess he left behind in Egypt. However, God had different plans. And God said, hey, Moses, I'm going to use you to go challenge and confront the, the most powerful man in the world at that time. And I'm going to use you as my vessel to set hundreds of thousands of people in bondage to lead them to liberty and freedom. How does that sound? And Moses freaked out, right? That's what Exodus 3 and 4 shows. Moses had some doubts. Moses had some insecurities, right? And, and listen, rightly so, rightly so, given the, the task that was before him. He says, he says, who am I? Lord, you got the wrong Moses. I think you meant to, uh, the, there's a town 20 miles east of here. There's a guy, Moses, a successful businessman. I think that's the Moses you're looking for. It, ain't, it, sure, it surely ain't this Moses. You got the wrong address, the wrong Moses. And God says, hey, Moses, who, who put the tongue in your mouth? Who made your mouth? You say you don't talk too good? Is, when was it ever a matter of you, Moses, instead of it being about the great I am? Right, the, what Jeff articulated beautifully last week, and, and man, just the Lord really worked in my life. It's not about who you are, it's about who God is, right? And it's always been about him and his story of redemption in our lives and recognizing our desperate need for him. So uh, Moses still is kind of wrestling under this, wrestling under the weight of the calling so much so that uh, if you've seen, I grew up watching WWF. Uh, for those of you uh, Worldwide Wrestling Federation fans, I don't watch it anymore, so don't judge me, but... Tag team match, right? Tag team, someone's getting crushed under the weight and they're shaking the hand out and pretty much Aaron's at the turnbuckle, his brother, tag me in, tag me in, boom. Aaron gets tagged in on the journey back to Egypt as in God gave Moses Aaron. And uh, so uh, Moses and Aaron are brothers. They link up. God, as a gift to Moses, uh, gave him a, a sidekick to help him in, uh, in the plan that God gave for him. So they go back. They go back to Egypt, and they, and, and, and they, they get a, a kind of a, a council, a gathering, if you will, with the leaders of Israel, and they give the people of God something they have not had in a long, long time. And that, my friends, is the beautiful gift of hope. Beautiful gift of hope. And this is what we see in Exodus 4, 29 through 31. This is what the, the last passage is leading up to where we're at today in Exodus 5. 
Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. The people who have spent centuries in bondage and slavery, they believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and probably, listen, did what they haven't done in a long, long time. They worshipped the Lord. They worshipped. Uh, what, a, what a crazy moment for the people of God. What an awesome moment. People who are in utter despair now given this beautiful gift of hope. Uh, the gift of hope that there's a day coming when our sons aren't going to be chucked into the Nile. There's a day coming when our brothers and sisters aren't going to be worked and beaten to death. There's a day coming when Pharaoh has no say anymore in our lives. We're going to be free. That's the hope they've been given. But what we see in Exodus 5 is that just as quickly as these people are given hope, it is taken away. Taken away. And they're living in this huge gap uh, of the hope of who God is and his promises and the reality of their situation. And, and they're saying, what, wait, these aren't, when is this gap going to close? When is hope going to meet reality? The, 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 there's a gap there, and that's where they're living in our text today in Exodus 5. And we're going to be looking at, well, why is it? Why does it go for the Israelites from bad to worse in Exodus 5, from bad to worse? Why is that? And, and what, in, in our story of redemption, when, when sometimes our situations, uh, getting, when we're trying to break free or have Christ come in and break us free from certain sins that are still enslaving us, that's what this series is all about and what the book of the redemption groups are all about. What does it look like? What does it look like to faithfully trust and follow Christ in that moment where you're living in the gap between hope and reality? So let's pray and we'll dive into this text. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for the gift that you've given us in your son, Jesus. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. What a promise. What an awesome hope that you've given us that a day is coming in our future when we will be set free forever. A day with no more sin and addiction and, 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 and hatred and death and suffering. All of that, will, there's coming a day where all that will be forgotten, will be no more. So thank you for, for the hope that you've given us in Jesus. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence among us. And uh, I ask that you just move in power. Uh, that um, you would increase, I would decrease. You would transform lives, and you'd give, if there's someone here today, and they're without hope as they look at their circumstances, would you give them hope today? And would you set the captive free? And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. We got a lot to cover. We're going to do a flyover. We're going through a whole chapter of Scripture here. Exodus 5, verse 1. Afterward, after the brave heart speech that Moses and Aaron gave the Israelites, afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. So here's something that we need to, to camp out in is that Moses and Aaron, especially Moses, goes from an insecure, uh, doubting man to a man now who maybe with knees knocking, maybe with voice shaking him and Aaron, maybe a little bit nervous, uh, are, are confronting the most powerful man in the world at this time. And what they're modeling for us is courageous faith, courageous faith. But we need to ask, well, well, why is the Moses in Exodus 4 now the Moses who's standing before Pharaoh? What, what happened there? Well, well, what happened there in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4 is Moses and Aaron, uh, they've gotten to know somebody. 
You track them. They've, they've gotten to know the great I am. The great I am has, has both declared who he is. I am the sovereign Lord of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that God has displayed his glory to them. Uh, you ever seen a burning bush? Anyone here been in the Bible Museum and done like that 340 d tour of the Old Testament narrative? And then out of nowhere, a boom, burning bush appears. Oh my gosh, I almost had a heart attack. Oh, it was awesome. If you're there, anyways, if you haven't been to the Bible Museum, check it out. It's awesome. Uh, but but Moses, uh, Moses seeing Yahweh at work, uh, uh, throw your staff on the ground, turns into a snake. All of a sudden, Moses seeing the power that this great I am has. Leprosy, no leprosy, leprosy, no leprosy. You tracking with me? So these guys have been with the living God, and all of a sudden things are changing. And when it comes to you and I and our relationship with God, listen, you can't encounter the living God and not be changed. You can't be in his presence. You can't see him at work and not, listen, have your confidence strengthened a little bit, not have your, your faith stirred a little bit. Because why? Because it's not about you anymore and what you can do. You've seen what God can do, and you just step out of the way and say, let's see how this plays out, right? Yes. So, God, I've seen you work. Hey, hey, Aaron, let's, let's get in front, of Mar- uh, in front of Pharaoh. I want to see how this plays out, right? It's never about me. It's not about us. It's about our God displaying his glory through us. That's what it's about. They've been with God, and now they're standing. They're doing the, the impossible. This was impossible in chapter 4 for Moses. Impossible. Now he's doing it. Why? He's gotten to know God. He's to know God. Do you know this God? This living God who's actively at work in your life, does some crazy things, transforming us through the power of his Holy Spirit? Come on. When you encounter that, man, it's game over, baby. You can't help but be changed. And uh, I love what they say. They don't come on their own authority. It's not a shark tank presentation to, to Pharaoh saying, hey, we've come up with this great idea. You know, we're going to present this to you. What do you think? No, he said, thus says the Lord. This isn't something we've come up with. We're not here on our own authority or our own genius or our own bravado. We're just a mailman. And I got news for you. Here's the news. Here's the Sunday paper I'm chucking your way, Pharaoh. The God of the universe has declared this. Let my people go. I love that. I love that. What God highlights to me as I was studying this text this week is emphasis on my. What God is declaring is he's calling dibs. He's saying, these people, Pharaoh, that you have been oppressing and you think you own, guess what? I got news for you. They're not yours. They're mine. And I got news for you. They're coming with me. You have no authority or say in their lives anymore. What redemption is, we see redemption is a transfer, right? Redemption is a transfer of ownership of the enemy in our lives into adoption into the family of God. And that's the hope we have in Jesus Christ. It's that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. The enemy has no authority and say in our life. We used to, we used to be uh, oppressed and, and we're slaves to sin, but that no longer is true because Christ is on the throne of our lives, not the enemy, not sin. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. He has delivered us from the domain of of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. There's a transfer that's taking place. No matter what the enemy says, no matter what anyone else says, we are part of the kingdom of God, the family of God. 
We have been rescued from the, the tyranny, just like the Israelites were rescued from the tyranny of Pharaoh. We've been rescued from the tyranny of the enemy. And uh, I love what uh, the terms are of this request. God says, I want to hold a feast with them in the wilderness. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna come party with me for a couple of days. And what's interesting here is there's some debate here with some New Testament scholars, Old Testament scholars on on what actually was, were the details of this, was, were they kind of being deceitful and like, hey, we're only going to take a three-day break and then peace, we're going to slowly sneak away, or was this, and, and no, what, what a lot of uh, Old Testament scholars uh, agree upon is that this was kind of a, a first test for Pharaoh, saying, hey, this could actually play out really well for Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And there's extra, extra biblical data uh, in Egyptian, ancient Egyptian literature that suggests that slaves were actually, uh, not Israelite slaves, but other slaves that were actually given a break to go worship their God. So this isn't an unusual request. Uh, this, uh, this is something that I'm sure Pharaoh's going to lose a lot of revenue, a lot of revenue from all that free labor. But uh, this isn't something that, that maybe would be foreign to him. And I love what we see here is God's heart for his people is that, listen, redemption, our redemption is always for the sake of a relationship. Do you guys believe that? That the reason God redeems us is not to just say, all right, now go free and do whatever you want. God redeems us to himself. He redeems us to himself. That's the end of the gospel. It's not just the forgiveness of sins. It's that we get God, right? And we get to feast with him in the wilderness. That's the promise the Israelites have. And that's the heart that God has for you. The reason he was willing to, to sacrifice his son on the rugged cross for our salvation was so that you could be reconciled back to him and know him. Do you know this God of great love and compassion? The end of our redemption is always for the sake of relationship. Verse 2, Pharaoh's response. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and moreover, moreover, I will not let Israel go. My friends, that is a dangerous thing to say. A mere, well, listen, listen, compared to the, the God of Isaiah 40, who, who stretches out the galaxies like a blanket, like we do when we make our bed in the morning, he is challenging that God, a mere gnat, a flea of a man, when you compare him to the majesty of the Almighty God. Is saying, who's the Lord? And as a matter of fact, I don't care who he is. I'm not going to listen to what he says. There's only one God around here, and that's me. That's Pharaoh's pride. Uh, that's his arrogance, his evil. And he, and he essentially looks at uh, Moses and, and Aaron and says, hey, last time I checked, you are my people. I tell you when to sit. I tell you when to eat. I tell you when to work, and you do it because you're a slave and I own you. So get back to work. That's, what, that's the challenge of Pharaoh when he hears this. He said, not on my watch. Is that how it goes around? You challenge my authority? My people? Who's this God you speak of? Saying, my, no, you're, everything I'm looking at is saying, you're my people. Verse 3. Then they said, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. I love their response. They don't necessarily explain themselves to Pharaoh. They don't necessarily like venture into classical apologetics uh, to Pharaoh to explain that God exists and how he's sovereign Lord of all and how you can you know, uh, decipher all that from general revelation. and all. They, don't, they don't say that. 
They just reassert what they said before, but they add something here. They said, the God of Hebrews, listen, he's met with us. They're eyewitnesses. They're sharing a testimony. They're saying, we know a guy. We've met him. I don't care if you don't know him or not. We're telling you he's revealed himself to us, and we've seen some things. And listen, if you don't fall in line, Moses, Pharaoh, we're warning you, bro, some crazy stuff's about to go down. Because this great God of Exodus 3, the great I am, is not to be toyed with. He is a God of immense power and holiness. And he, we owe our everything to him. And Pharaoh, how dare you challenge him like that? You're a mere gnat of a man. A mere gnat of a man compared to his majesty. And uh, even still, Pharaoh holds his ground. Verse 4 says this. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. Again, Pharaoh is reminding them of their identity. You people are slaves. What slaves do is they work. They don't talk to Pharaoh. Get out of my presence. Get back to work. This is all just a great distraction, a great ploy. And uh, when it comes to, you know, as we navigate... uh, the, the book of Exodus, we're, we're taking that the lens of redemption. And a lot of this is from uh, Mike Wilkerson's book called Redemption. It's a phenomenal book. Highly recommend it. And everyone who uh, joins a redemption group, we're going to be reading through that over the next nine weeks. Um, but when it comes to our redemption, one of the biggest battles we face is the voice we listen to about our identity. The voice we listen to about our identity. And for those of us who, who maybe have some deep wounds in our past, some things we need healing over, or maybe some present-day enslaving uh, sins or addictions that we just can't seem to overcome, the enemy is having a field day with our identity because our identity gets wrapped up into that mess. And so we listen to the voice of the enemy. When we fail time and time again, the enemy rushes in and says, you're a disgrace. The voice of the enemy says, are you serious? How dare you do that? It's disgraceful. You're a disgrace. You're dirty, unclean, unlovable. You're an unending embarrassment. If you could just get your act together, maybe God would be happy with you. But I got news for you, God's not happy with you. So you need to make this right. You're a disgrace. That's the voice of the enemy, right? But some of you here, you've been facing enslaving sin. You know exactly what that voice is, right? Because, you know, the enemy is right there just waiting. And how, how often do we replace the voice of the enemy with the voice of our father? And we think that's actually God saying that nonsense to us. When, in fact, if we were to go to Scripture and see what the voice of our heavenly father who's redeemed us through the person and work of Jesus Christ says, Romans 8, 1 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How about 2 Corinthians five seventeen? Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, in Christ, identity in Christ, they're a new creation. Behold, the old has gone away, the new has come. So wait, wait, so what was that enemy? What were you saying? Romans 5, 1 through 2. Love this. Therefore, since we have been ju- I'm justified, declared righteous before the throne of God, the only one who is the true judge of the universe says I'm good and I'm righteous and, I, and my, my, my debt has been paid. As the song was saying, paid in full. I'm justified by faith 
in Christ. Now I have peace with God, reconciliation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into, listen, this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Do you believe, beloved, today that you stand in grace? You don't listen. It's not through good performance that you, oh, I'm stepping into grace. Oh, I messed up. Now I step out of grace. You can't, you, you, you stand in it. If you're here today and you are in Christ, that is your identity, one who stands in his grace. You can't out it. You cannot escape it. It's going to pursue you the rest of your life, his unending grace and mercy. That's your identity. Those who are in Christ, standing wrapped in his arms, in his grace. Stop thinking you sin your way in and, and, uh, and obey your way, or sin your way out and obey your way into it. That's nonsense. That's legalism. It's legalism. Don't cheapen the cross with that. Don't listen to the voice of the enemy. So uh, I'm a huge Washington Capitals fan. The season has begun. They're doing great. And um, here's the deal. What is always funny about professional sports as I don't know any professional athletes, but everyone thinks that they have the authority and the right to share like what play they would have made, <laughs> right? Or what trade they, hey, what are you, what's your take on like, you know, trots getting traded and the new coach and all stuff? Oh yeah, no, I got, you know, like whatever. Listen, I have no say over anything that happens on that ice. Right? I can look at the best hockey players in the world and say, oh, well, I wouldn't have passed it then. I would have, you know, shot it, you know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm not the coach. I'm not on the ice. Listen, I have zippy authority to speak in to that team, to those people. And if you see where I'm going with this, the enemy now, because God has declared over you and me that you are my people, the enemy has just as much say in your life like I do into the Washington Capitals. That's how much nonsense it is. And how silly of Alex Ovechkin to really take seriously what a, a short, bald guy and sitting in the 400 nosebleeds says about his game. <laughs> right? Right? And how often do we give the enemy so much say in our lives? When he's sitting in the nosebleeds because of what Christ has done through the cross, he sung a song of victory, he declared victory over us. That's nonsense. Nonsense. So going back to our text, what we see here, is Pharaoh is losing his, some ground here. He's sensing it. Might be losing some authority, so he ramps up his attack, and things go from real bad to real worse. Verses 6 through 13. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cried, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves and wherever you can find it but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task, each day as when there was straw. So what Pharaoh does here out of retaliation is, let's up the workload, up the quota, and by the way, when you can't meet your impossible quota, we're gonna beat you for it. We're gonna make you pay. Historically speaking, the glory of Egypt's pharaohs and kings was displayed by the towering architecture of its cities. 
60-foot walls encircled the cities, homes, and public buildings that were all made with bricks. One of Pharaoh's pyramids, you can look this up, required some 24.5 million bricks. So for the pharaohs, if that's tied into their glory and the advancement of their kingdom, no bricks means no glory. But a whole lot more bricks means a whole lot more glory. You're going to advance my kingdom. You're going to bow down and worship me. And this is uh, what satire of the trades. This is an ancient Egyptian document that describes the work of someone, of a slave who had to make bricks in ancient Egypt. So what, this is the picture we have of the Israelites here. He is dirtier than vines or pigs from treading under his mud. His clothes are stiff with clay. His leather belt is going to ruin. Entering into the wind, he is miserable. His sides ache since he must be outside in a treacherous wind. His arms are destroyed with technical work. What he eats is the bread of his fingers, and he washes himself only once a season. He is simply wretched through and through. This is what the Israelites are facing, the wretchedness of slavery under the tyranny of Pharaoh. And I cannot think of a better picture or illustration of what it looks like when somebody is enslaved by sin than the picture we have of the Israelites covered in clay, working tirelessly for a master who is cruel. And always, like our sin does, our sin like the Pharaoh always demands more and more out of us more and more sacrifice, and always gives less and less in return. Sin is slavery. Scripture makes that crystal clear. John 8, 34, Jesus answered them. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is not dabbling in sin, is not controlling their sin. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin like the Israelites in Egypt, completely out of control, right? Slavery to sin looks like us doing what we don't want to do. Slavery to sin uh, looks like doing what is wrong and awful and bad, but now has become normal for us. Slavery to sin looks like our powerlessness to escape. No matter the, the, uh, the, you know, the commitments we've made, I'm never, the, 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 the resolve of our self-will and asserting that we're going to conquer this thing, we, what slavery to sin looks like is complete powerlessness to stop the behavior. Complete loss of control. No power to say no. And we obey, listen, we obey at great cost to ourselves, our own personal health, and everyone we love. And until somebody comes and rescues us from the slavery, somebody else, not us, we're stuck. So um, I have uh, my sister, Kelly, is, she has some horses, she loves horses, and she's trying to get my two-year-old daughter to love horses as well. So a couple months ago, she bought my daughter uh, a cute little pink uh, rock and rider pony. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's got like a little rocker, it's, it's pink, it's fluffy it's on the ear. You pinch the ear and it sings a song, I'm a rock and rider pony, clippity-clop, clippity-clop. <laughs> Not that I've memorized that or anything. Uh, I got news for you, my daughter, Kelsey, was a cruel taskmaster of that horse. <laughs> Dragging that thing around by the tail, the ear, launching it down the stairs, flipping it over backwards, riding it in all sorts of positions, uh, riding it for, for, for hours, just boom, you know, I'm a rock and rider. And then she's singing off key in its ear, the wrong lyrics, just going, jippity chop, jippity chop, jippity chop. And we're like, what is, it's awful, so much so. 
So much so that the horse is losing its battery power. And if you're here today and you're a parent and you have toys that speak and they lose their battery power, you know this to be true. It sounds like it's demonically possessed. <laughs> I'm a rider, rider pony. <laughs> this thing's getting, <laughs> he's about to die. My daughter is a cruel taskmaster of this horse, right? And listen, that horse uh, was, was completely under the subjection of my two-year-old daughter. It had no chance, no chance of freedom. Its only hope, its only hope was that would someone come and please save me, give me new batteries, get me out of this house, right? But listen, try to take that rock and rider pony from my two-year-old daughter, her pony, this is my pony, see what happens, right? See what happens. War is about to go down. You thought Pharaoh was severe? Or you see, you see, you're trying to take a two. You're trying to take that from my daughter, right? Why? Because she, she's saying this is mine. It does what I want it to do, right? And in the same way, the reason things often go from bad to worse in our story of redemption is the enemy is is tooth and claw fighting for you, fighting against you, but fighting to get you back into the kingdom of darkness. And he used to be on the saddle. He ain't on the saddle anymore if you're in Christ Jesus, but he's doing everything in his power to get back on the horse of your life. That's what he's doing. And, and often when, when you know, life is good and we're getting kind of cozy with, with the strongholds we have in our life, but the second we're saying, hey, you know what? I need to shine light into the dark recesses of my heart and let God do some healing work. Just get ready. The enemy got no time for that. The enemy doesn't want to lose any ground in your life, any strongholds he has in your life. The enemy is not going to go down without a fight. Just like you trying to take a rock and rider pony from a two-year-old, he is not going out without a fight, and neither is Pharaoh. It might go from bad to worse in your life. Maybe, just maybe, your story of God coming in and breaking you free from sin that's entangling you, maybe his plan looks a little bit different than your plan. Maybe things might need to get a little bit worse. So you feel how awful this is. Just maybe, maybe that is. Because I got news for you, we are people who are quick to forget the evil of sin in our lives. We are, we are. And oftentimes as I'm talking to, to uh, you know, counseling lots of young men uh, over my years, being a youth pastor and all this stuff, a lot of times the way, just hearing them talk about their sin that is from the pit of hell, it's demonic stuff they're involved in, Right? Hear them talking about it, like, it's like, oh yeah, like I play fantasy football too much. And, and just hearing them talk, I'm like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to get a whole lot worse before it gets any better for them to actually break free. They're going to have to see this for what it truly is. They're going to have to see the source of this. But this is not, sin is not something we, we dabble in, right? We can be enslaved by it. And that's why the enemy ramps up his, this is what, this is uh, what Mike Wilkerson says. What if your anguish stems from the slavery of addiction? It's from his book, Redemption. Here, too, it may get worse before it gets better. But that doesn't mean God is absent. It means that he is at war against the gods that have enslaved you. It means that the bonds of slavery have been tied so tightly that they're cut into your skin and can't be removed without some bleeding. If you and I have bonds of slavery and addiction that have wrapped so tightly for compounded over the years, when God begins to unravel that, you better believe it's going to be a painful process. It might have to get worse, and that might be a part of God's plan of redemption for you. So if you're here today and you have already signed up for the redemption groups, I would just warn you. Say, be on guard. 
Be on guard. The enemy, that's on every Sunday afternoon that we have redemption groups, where's the one place the enemy does not want you to be? Is there. So what are you going to do every Sunday afternoon? Is, is all of a sudden these excuses are going to come in your head. Oh, man, the skins are playing. If that's your football team. Oh, man, it's my day off. I really got to go to this. Is this really worth it? Is my, listen, how about this one? Is my issue that bad that I actually need this group anyways? Need, uh, need redemption? Can I just live with it? Can I just revert back to uh, the normal slavery I've been accustomed to? Why do I need to make this sacrifice? Every Sunday, you're going to be faced with that. Every Sunday, for sure. Just get ready for it. Enemy's not going down to the fight. Verse 14, we got to move on. And the four men of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the four men of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this. No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your people. Verses prior, they're bowing their heads in worship, at, in exaltation at the news that God has declared upon them, you are my people. And now three times in this passage, they say, your servants, your servants, your servants, and they're crying out to Pharaoh and not to the Lord. I'm not faulting them. I would do the same thing in this. But what we see here is that the roots of their slavery were so deep that now they were just crying out, return us to the normal slavery. We were comfortable with that. We will bow down. We will listen to what you say. Oh, Pharaoh, just please ease our burden. They're reverting back to where they were. Didn't cry out to God, but went to Pharaoh. And... Uh, this is what Mike Wilkerson says again, unabashedly stealing almost everything from him today, um, but letting my theft know, so it's not theft. All right, we don't see the cosmic war waged in unseen realms, and we are often inattentive to the corresponding war that rages in our own hearts. Yet, when we take one step forward from the crossroads of this dilemma, listen, we act in faith that one of these gods will save us, Pharaoh, Yahweh. One of these gods will save us. That act of faith, listen, is our pledge of allegiance. We either place our faith in the God who threatens to make us miserable, but offers temporarily livable slave conditions. Anyone here tired of temp living in temporarily livable slave conditions? Anyone else here tired of that? Anyone else here want to be set free? By that, let's go. We're not called to a life of slavery, temporarily livable slave conditions. And some of us here today, that's our story. Do you understand? That's not God's will for you. God wants to set you free if you're willing. Either we have a choice today to revert back to that or move forward in faith. Or we place our faith in the true God who has promised freedom for life. Promised freedom for life. Life. I recently read an awesome book. A ton of people were recommending it, so I read it. And I think uh, it's like probably number one. Like when you, if you're here today and, and you're a woman and you came to faith in Christ, probably the first book you got was a Bible, and then the second book was a book by Francine Rivers. Am I right? Yeah, so none of the guys are like, who's Francine Rivers? Anyways, I read a book called Redeeming Love. Good night. I opened that book. I made it, I opened that book at 10. I, didn't, I read 200 pages. I was up to like 2 a.m. It was phenomenal. Phenomenal book. Uh, I'm not sure they're recommending it. It's, it's pretty heavy stuff. But man, the, the long story, the short of it is that there's this girl 
who uh, against her will, tragically, is, uh, is uh, driven into prostitution. And uh, this guy, Michael Hosea, uh, I don't want to ruin the story for you, but basically redeems her in a unique way. So now she's set free. But she goes back to her life of prostitution. And uh, I'm reading this, and uh, almost fighting back tears, and the, the author just does a beautiful job of the voice of shame entering in and all this stuff, and her, uh, 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 not, her wanting to revert back to the temporarily you know, comfortable slave conditions that she was used to living in, and then thinking through, I, I was like, no, you're really saying, no, don't go back, what are you, crazy? Why would you ever do that? You're out of your mind. And then I had the recognition of how often do I do that? How often is that my story, right? We're almost at the point of breakthrough, right? Lord has redeemed me and all this stuff. And then I'm like, oh, okay, well, it wasn't too bad, was it? Let me go back, right? But how often is that story? And we're going to unpack uh, that a little bit further here. I'm, I'm slowly wrapping up. But we got to continue. Verse 17. Back to our text. But he said, you are idle. Pharaoh said, you are idle. You are idle. That is what you say. Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you. You must still uh, deliver the same number of bricks. The foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task, your daily task each day. Uh, they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them. And as they came out from Pharaoh and they said to him, the Lord, look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. What we're seeing here is that sometimes it seems like hope given then taken away is better than no hope given at all. The Israelites are angry, they're mad, they're furious, and they go straight to uh, Moses and Aaron now for, who for all intents and purposes are now their enemy not their ally, Pharaoh's their ally. Now they're the enemy because they caused this mess and they're literally uttering a divine curse upon them. May you be cursed. May divine judgment come upon you for the mess that you have caused us. Imagine Moses and Aaron. And not just imagine the Israelites and their lack of hope. Their hopes crashed and destroyed. But imagine Moses and Aaron too. And we see, we see uh, here in the last two verses what Moses did. Moses did the one thing that everybody should have done in this passage was turn to the Lord. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to his people. And you have not delivered your people at all. You have not delivered your people at all. Moses' worst nightmare came true. He said, I knew it. I'm a screw up. I messed this whole thing up. God, you do not stay true to your word. You knew I was totally incapable of this. If you don't show up, we're all toast. If you don't keep to your word, we're toast. And Moses as well is in between the gap of, of the hope of God's promises and who he is and the reality of his situation. And, and, and just a side note here, um, you know, Moses doesn't get struck by a lightning bolt here. What's beautiful about our God of uh, abounding love, he's slow to anger, steadfast in his love for us, is he wants to hear from us. And I, I've read a book multiple times called uh, A Praying Life by Paul Miller, and he tells us to come with boldness to God, with confidence to God. That's what we see Moses doing. And we're going to unpack in Exodus next week in Exodus 6-1 God's response. I love it. But today, all we're left with in our passage is Moses at the point of utter desperation. What does he do? And maybe some of you are here today, and you're in the same 
situation, the same spot in your life, and you're saying, you're looking at your circumstances, and you're saying, you, God, have not delivered your people at all. This is what Mike Wilkerson has to say about that. It's all about weighing the evidence. We weigh the evidence of God's character, promises, and track record against the present circumstances we face and our fears of what might happen. To hold our picture of redemption out to God and say, save me like this, doesn't require, listen, nearly as much faith as saying, I know you're good. Save me like you want to. You guys you can take a picture of that. I can send that to you. That quote is phenomenal. To hold our picture of redemption out to God and say, this has to be my story. Least pain as possible. I know that I'm kind of responsible for a lot of this mess that I need liberation and freedom from. Save me like this. No pain, no embarrassment, super easy. All right, we good? All right, cool. And unless you do that, I'm running back to Pharaoh. To hold out our picture of redemption to God and say, save me like this doesn't require nearly as much faith as saying, God, I know you're good. Your will be done. Your will be done in my life. May you be glorified. And it's totally different, totally different. We stand at a crossroads. Here's our dilemma. God is unseen while our present circumstances stare us in the face and our fears are palpable. You must still, what do we do in this situation? You must still cry out to God in faith for deliverance. Yet, as you are brutally honest about your anguish, you must be equally honest about your sin. You must know that you are in the midst of a war. Expect death and pain in the process because you have to put sin to death by the Spirit. But also expect a new life for those, listen to this promise, for those who die with Christ also rise with him. I love this last line. What this means is that your redemption is as certain as his resurrection. Our redemption, church, is as certain as his resurrection. We not, might not be able to see what he's up to right now, but we know a day is coming in our future. Heaven, sure, heaven might break in in certain miraculous ways in our life right now. God might show up in mighty ways and redeem us, and he's already at work doing that through the sanctifying work of his spirit indwelling us. But we know that our redemption is as sure as his resurrection. That's our hope. That's our confidence. And so I'll conclude with this last verse from John 8, 34. The 35, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now listen to this. We sang these words this morning. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You can take that to the bank, Transit Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that you're God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love for us. Thank you that you are relentless in your pursuit of, uh, of a people like myself who are so prone to run full sprint back to the tyranny of Pharaoh, to the enemy. Forgive us, we pray. Forgive us, Father. And I pray, Spirit, you come in power. Would you transform lives this morning? Would you break the chains of addiction and shame uh, this morning in our lives? Would you set the captive free for your glory, Lord, for your glory? 
So thank you, God, that you're a God who longs to feast with his people, that our redemption is for the sake, not just of us being freed from slavery, but it's what we're free to. It's who we're free to. We're free to you. Thank you, God, that uh, your, your good news is that you love us so much that you redeemed us by the death of your son so that we come to know you in the grace that is unending. Thank you that we stand in that grace and we can't uh, uh, step in or step out, but it's unending. So thank you, God, for that beautiful gift uh, of forgiveness and hope that we have in you. And pray this in your name. Amen.